All right, John chapter 20. Verse number 24. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet they have believed. Today, I want to talk to you from this subject, are we connecting? Turn to your neighbor and ask him, are we a thing? Are we connecting today? If they cue, ask them out on a date after the service. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, bring forth much fruit in Jesus' name. And everybody say it. You can be seated today. We took a, uh, as a team, took a personality assessment, and there were eight different personality types in this specific assessment. Um, I don't want to brag or anything, but I was an influencer. And uh, as an influencer, um, we all, these different eight had uh, filters on how they see the world. Like some were like movers and the movers, they're really suspicious of people's motives. That's their filter. So they're always looking through what the other person's motive is. Um, but my filter question is this question, are we connecting? So one of my biggest desires is that people come to church and they feel like a family and they feel connected. And when people get up here and say, hey, join a life group, everybody joins a life group. And hey, join a, a, a serve, join a, the dream team. And they join the dream team. And they're like, bring your friends to Harvest Sunday. And you bring your friends to Harvest Sunday. And they're like, I love my church. After this service and every other service, I'm going to have people, uh, they're going to be here singing and praying while I'm running to the front to make sure none of you escape me. And the lingering question I will be looking at you with is, are we connected? Will you be here next week? Do you like us? Were we too loud? Was the lights too much? Was I not deep enough? I can be a little, I'll do Hebrew next week if you show up. Um, please come back to church. So in the attempt of connecting, there's this pursuit. And sometimes um, you, you, you have people and it's like this huge disappointment. They're like, hey, pastor, love the church. It's a little too big. Uh, we don't feel connected. Like, hi, don't leave me. All my childhood issues are coming back alive. Yeah, you should stay. Amen. Um, and there's this thing inside of us like, hey, well, before you leave, should we do coffee together? Want to go miniature golfing? You want to go have seafood together? How many love seafood? See, that's why you should stay at this church. I love seafood too. 
Particularly, I like crab uh, on special occasions because uh, it, it makes me feel like I'm doing something in life. <clears throat> but sometimes I'm not doing something in life uh, and I'm a little low on the budget, so I have imitation crab. And imitation crab has the same coloring. It tastes like crab. But can I get a witness in this house? It is not real crab. It is paste made to look like real crab at a cheaper price. So when you eat it, you feel like you're doing something in life eating crab. It is literally paste from other food items. It is not crab. It is imitation crab. And I think... uh, what I do and others of us do in order to get connection at a safe distance is what we do is create something I call imitation intimacy. It looks like the real thing and it feels like the real thing, but it is not the real thing. And we give these imitative uh, versions of intimacy uh, through these natural things that kind of relate to intimacy but we don't have to be intimate with it. For example, uh, one of the ways we do that is by relating. We call relating intimacy, but you can have relations without having intimacy. Uh, For example, uh, Dr. Honeycutt, if you know him, he's a big Cowboys fan. (sighs) He has one friend in this house. God bless you. Um, And so I'm not a big Cowboys fan, so I don't know anything about them. The last time I heard about them, there there was a guy named Troy Aikman in 1992 or something like that. Um, And so they were talking amongst themselves, a few guys with Dr. Honeycutt, and he's like, man, our problem, though, is we lost Diggs on our defense. And that, he, he was the man. I don't know who Diggs is. I don't know what Diggs looks like, but I went to this other party after uh, that conversation, and they were watching the Cowboys, and they were connecting and eating chips and laughing, and I don't eat sugar right now, so I can't have the chips, and so there was no way to connect, so what I did was like, hey, man, unfortunately for us, we lost Diggs. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know how good or bad he was. I just know we lost Diggs. And they're like, yeah, man, we lost Diggs. And we start relating. But can I tell you, they thought we were connecting, but I was connecting with them based off of something I was not connected to. Some of us are connected to people, not because we're connected to them, but just because we relate to them and we have something in common. Some of you, you don't have real friends. It's just the friend of your friend is your enemy. The friend, say, say it for me real quick. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Come on, that was good. I messed it up, but just clap or something. Um, the in, that ain't a real friend just because they like, don't like the person that you don't like. That's imitation intimacy. You want to take out the same person and, and you come and make a common interest and you relate to it. Coexisting or being in the same pay, uh, place of closeness does not mean that you are close. You could be in the same bed with somebody and be worlds apart from them. I'll just let that set in an awkward moment for a second. Let you discuss that in your mind. This one man, he told me, I've been married for 40 years. And I looked at his wife and she didn't look like she was happy 40 seconds in that marriage. And I was like, man, it's amazing how he's bragging as if it's a trophy for how long he's endured his marriage. Marriage, maybe it's not the measurement of how long we can be married, but how close we can be married while we're married. 
Maybe it's about relationship that is deep and that sees the real you, not coexisting in the same habitation for a certain amount of time to say you're successful. And some of us, we think connection or intimacy is based off of activity, and so we play pickleball together and call ourselves friends. <laughs> is there some pickleballers here? Or, <laughs> we go to the movie. Hey, you want to connect? Let's go to a movie. You're not connecting at a movie. You're, you're watching and connecting to something they're connected to, so it's safe enough for, for you to not have conversation with them, but we can actually agree on something and disagree on something we saw and feel connected without ever being connected. We have performance as a way of imitating intimacy. Just because you serve together doesn't mean you're together. Just because you join a ministry doesn't mean you have ministry flowing through you. Just because you go to a life group doesn't mean you're connected to the church. Just because you give money doesn't mean you're connected to the church. You might do the things that look like intimacy, but intimacy doesn't start from without. Intimacy starts from within. Just because you're my Facebook friend doesn't mean you're my friend. And just because I post about my life doesn't mean you get to have an opinion about my life. I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about us in general. But so many times we put all these counterfeit of connections and call them intimacy. But at the end of the day, we come into rooms and we never feel connected. And we keep looking for activity to make us connection. We keep looking for things that look like connection and make us feel comfortably connected. But at the end of the day, we feel empty and disconnected and don't feel like we belong. Um, we served the Rock volunteers the other day, and Rich Wilkerson's a well-known, amazing uh, preacher, and I was sitting by him, and he's like, yeah, so who are some of your friends? Like, who are you connected to? And I thought, the, the first people that came to my head is like, Levi, you wouldn't know him, Emmaus, Grayson, Jordan, we're going to go bowling after this. It's going to be amazing. That's my friends. That's my crew. I know you're hanging out with Kardashians and Bieber, but I got Levi in my house. Those are my four sons, in case you don't know, and you're new today. Um, I thought, man, I'm with the most known person in the room. Everyone knows me in the room, and yet I'm not as connected as I think I am. I'm not as connected as I'd like to be. And I start to realize when I see this text that Jesus had died, he'd resurrected, and Mary is at the tomb, and she's crying. She's like, where's the body of Jesus? She's weeping, and Jesus says, hey, I'm right here. Don't weep anymore. And she runs to this room and, uh, with these disciples who are filled with pain. And the Bible says that they were in the room and the door was locked because they had fear for the Jewish leaders. When they saw what happened to Jesus, not only did it bring them pain, but it brought them fear. Some of the enemies that we see in our intimacy, and two main ones, are pain and fear. The issue is you can't outrun your pain and you can't outhide your fear. You can't outrun your pain no matter how busy you get, no matter how distracted you get, no matter how many activities you do to make yourself feel sociable and uh, sociably acceptable and all of the things that you do. If you keep running, you never miss a day of grief. They all add up and show up one day. And so we keep running from our pain, but if you're not deeply connected with your own pain, you can never empathize and connect deeply with someone else's pain. So we keep running 
from our past and our pain, and you can't outrun your pain. And let me give you one more. You can't hide good enough from your fear. And these leaders, they come in this room, these disciples, and they lock the door because after they experienced the trauma of Jesus, they knew that if it could happen to Jesus, it could happen to them. Maybe some of you have been connected to life that way. If they, at that young age, could get in an automobile accident, maybe I'm next. And maybe there's an anxiety and fear to even driving or living. If they could get cancer at that age, then maybe I could. And there starts to be this fear where we trap ourselves away in our rooms. And can I tell you today, there's a strong difference between borders and boundaries. Boundaries keep the things out that need to stay out. Borders keep the things in that need to get out. And a lot of times we're mistaking borders for boundaries and boundaries for borders because we have so many locked doors and walls that actually hold our fear safe. It's the little child that puts his head under the blanket. That way he will not be seen because if he's seen, he might be hurt. And today... I want to talk just from three simple points of how we can experience a deep connection. Number one, we confront fear by becoming a safe and transparent place. John 20, 19, on the evening that the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. In the midst of their pain and the midst of their fear, Jesus, through a transparent place, comes through the walls and becomes a safe presence by saying, hey, peace be with you. This is just a, not a condemning question, but how many of you are a safe presence? How many of you are a peaceful presence? Or do you bring drama with your presence? Do you bring more anxiety as a gift of good tidings? When you come in a place, are you a safe person for me to talk to? A safe person means you give me information and I don't use it against you later. A safe person means you give me information and I don't distribute it to other people without you knowing. A safe place means you could be authentically who you are in my presence and trust my presence to be peace to you. He shows up in the midst of their fear, unintimidated by fear, unintimidated by the pain that he had been a part of causing, and he shows up. The other uh, day, my um, wife got me the uh, schedule a little bit late. It's not shaming. We're just being real right now uh, for my son's flag football game. I'm responsible too. I understand. We'll talk about this later. Anyway, so... uh, He's a quarterback, by the way. Come on, give it up for Grayson, the quarterback of the year. Okay, so um, it was time for the game. We're a couple hours away, and I had a lot going on, and I thought, like, man, I really can't make it to this. And something told me, like, if you don't show up, you're going to give this kid therapy for the rest of his life 
Because if you don't show up, you're going to be giving him something that you're not trying to give him. You're going to be giving him an insecurity that you don't show up for him. Can I just ask a quick question for the, the, the dads in this house? Are you showing up for your family? Are you showing up for your kids? Are you showing up to be the man of God that God's called you to be? Let's have a men's conference real quick. Are you showing up in the morning and praying over your family? Are you showing up to be the dad that he wasn't to you, to the children that God's given you? Even if you only have them 50% of the time doesn't mean, mean that you need to give 50% of the effort. You give 100% and show up to be the man of God that God's called you to be. Back to the general church service. He showed up and he was present as a presence of peace. Are you showing up for your family? Are you showing up for the ministry that God's calling you? Are you showing up for your neighbor? Are you showing up for who God's placed you in front of? But let me ask you one more question. Are you showing up for you? Are you being present with you? Like some of you came to church today and already touched your phone 10 times. You weren't aware of it because you weren't present. You showed up. You just weren't present. Some of you came and there was worship and something happened on the inside of you, but you weren't present enough to know that your pain and fear was being touched. So you just crossed your arms instead of lift your hands. Some of you, you showed up because somebody made you show up but you're already into next week figuring out the bills and the problems and all the things you've got to do and making your checklist because you showed up, but you're not present. Are you presently aware of the pain that has paralyzed you and the fear that has trapped you even as you sit in this moment? 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This is what Jesus does to, to speak to the fear. He, he shows up and the disciples say this. They say, um, we're not gonna believe it's you unless you show us your wounds. And Jesus didn't negotiate with them. He said, here's my wounds. People will not open up if you just tell them about your wins. They want to know about your wounds too. That's why it's powerful. Your testimony is powerful because it not only shows you how God's grace has helped you to overcome, but it brings you to clo closer to other people who have similar wounds, who have been through things. And so Jesus shows up as a transparent person, as a peaceful presence, and he says, I'm here for you. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your fear, I'm willing to show you my wounds. Number two, if we're going to have deep connection, we see and meet people at the level of their needs. We see and meet people at the level of their needs. And before I go on, let me just say this real quick. A lot of us have intimacy issues. You don't just have a porn problem, you have an intimacy problem. The screen just feels like intimacy, but it keeps you uh, safe, safe enough distance to actually be in a relationship so you don't have to get hurt again. It's, it's, not, it's not just a, a, a porn problem, it's a preacher problem. Like, you know what? This, this is a form of intimacy. Like, I feel close to you, but I'm safe enough away from you where I can practice intimacy without being connected to you. How many of you 
are living life at a distance from the relationships God's given you, but you want versions of intimacy without the honesty and transparency that it takes to actually have intimacy. Now, if you say, I don't have intimacy issues, I'll, I'll, let me just blow that up for you guys real quick. If, if, if I were to say to you, or if someone said to you, hey, why don't we go to therapy together? I don't do therapy. That's for weak people. You know what you're really saying? There's no way I'm going to show somebody who I'm in because I don't feel safe enough to do that. There was a whole generation who did not believe in therapy. But let me rephrase that. There was a whole generation who didn't know how to do intimacy. And they are raising children, and I'm a product of one of that, that they don't know how to love on their kids and affirm them and build them up in the most holy of faith. We have to see people's needs and meet them. This is uh, what happens. There's three categories of people in this text in John chapter eight. There's Mary and Mary is weeping and crying because where is the body of Jesus? And Jesus says, hey, it's okay, I'm here. Mary runs, she's happy. She goes to the disciples who are fearful and, and they're in this locked door and they're behind the borders of their own fear. And he shows them his wounds. And, and then you go, uh, to Thomas eight days later who wasn't there. And he says, um, I don't want to just see your wounds. I want to touch your wounds. I love this because you have to see people's needs based off of their needs, not your needs. Because each group had a different need. Mary needed some affirmation. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do without Jesus. He's like, I'm right here. I'm with you. We're going to do this together. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm in it with you. The next one's like, no, man, I don't believe you unless you show me your wounds. And he's like, okay, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be a peaceful presence to you. And then uh, Thomas is like, I don't need honesty. I don't need transparency. I need vulnerability. I need to be able to be close enough to touch your wounds so your wounds can minister to my wounds. And a lot of times we try to lead people based off of what we need, not what they need. That's called projection. I'm loving you how I want to be loved, not loving you how you need to be loved. I'm ministering to my needs and using you as an object of that rather than you being the one that I'm trying to minister to your needs. So all of a sudden, I'm trying to fulfill myself by minister to you and you get mad because that's not what you need. But here's the second part. With those three groups of people, each of them are different in that they all communicated their needs. Nobody can guess what you need. You have to say what you need. They're like, hey, I got wounds. I, I need to see your wounds too. Hey, I need to touch your wounds. Hey, I need some affirmation. Do not look at me crazy with needs, expecting me to fulfill your emotional needs that you're not willing to communicate. They all had needs, but they all communicated the needs. And he comes and he lets him touch the wounds. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. It would be easy to miss each other and misunderstand each other if we miss their needs because people will cuss you out and you think they need a fight when they need a hug. And you might miss what they need if you just look at the surface and not what's under the surface. How do you do that? You ask curious questions rather than triggered assumptions. So you become curious. Hey, I saw when you walked in today, you looked a little angry. Is there anything 
I could do for you? Is there any way that I could help you today? Rather than taking it personal and saying, hey, uh, they never, they're so rude around this church. They never say hi. They stare me down. But you never know what that person walked in with. And you want to minister to your needs rather than their needs. And so now you start projecting on how they should treat you rather than how you should help heal them. That's all right. If you want to clap, you got to clap. You don't want to clap. Just keep moving then. Amen. James 1.19, understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, speak carefully, chosen words, slow to anger, simply means don't fix people, they don't need fixed, they need loved, don't minimize people, don't squash them in their thoughts, and don't reload in yours, a reloader of thoughts is when someone else is talking, you're thinking about the next thing you're going to be saying, can I get one ADD witness in this house today? <laughs> You're reloading as they're talking to make your point. Proverbs eleven twenty five says this. Those who live to bless others will have blessings heaped upon them, and the one who pours out his life to pour out blessings will be saturated with favor. In, in practical terms, this is, what, this is what I'm saying. The scripture says some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. When is the last time you watered somebody else's garden? You're like, man, our marriage feels like a desert. Well, has your marriage had any water lately? Hey, I'm in a dry season. Have you watered the garden lately? What does it mean to water the garden? It means say something nice and build somebody up. A lot of times what happens is when we have intimacy issues, we have distance where we don't want to be recognized or appreciated. And what it does to us is it dries us up so we're no longer appreciating of other people. For example, uh, I literally hate everything about a video being made for me. I literally hate it. It kills me on the inside to be put on a public, like, we're going to appreciate our pastor. Like, no, just send me money. It's fine. <laughs> Don't do this. This is to your meeting, your needs, not my needs. <laughs> but then I'm, I'm like digging, like, what's going on? And the, the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me. He's like, hey, like, when's the last time you had like a great birthday party as a kid? And I realized, no, I didn't have birthday parties. So what I learned to do is not depend on anyone to celebrate me. And if they celebrate me, I didn't know if I can trust their authenticity when they're celebrating me. So I learned to live without celebration. So I don't need you to clap for me. Not, not literally, you can clap if you want. I'm <laughs> like, there you go. So, so now I don't need to depend on it anymore. And so now I've learned to live without it. The problem is now that I've learned to live without it, I expect you to live without it. And we live at a distance. And now I can't celebrate the goodness of God in your life. So I said, Lord, I'm just going to be up there and I'm going to let you minister to me because it is so hard to be in vulnerable places to trust other people. Like, are they saying that because they want something from me? Are, are are they giving me that because they want something from me? Because there's this narrative and agreement in my life that if this is happening, you can't trust people to authentically celebrate you without wanting something from you. But what if that is a lie and an agreement that we shouldn't make? And what if 
you start becoming a water flowing source to everyone that's around you. And you're like, man, Heart Revolution is the best church in the entire world. So some of you are going to, it's all right. Some of you are going to go home and be like, it was all right. It was okay. The issue is not that you felt like it was all right or okay. The issue is like uh, when you're out on a date and, and, and you're like trying to celebrate each other, you're going to be like, yeah, you're all right. You're okay. You didn't live up to my standards. The issue is when you have kids and, and they're playing sports and you're like, it was all right. Better luck next time, buddy. It's not, the problem is not that you think it's okay. The problem is you don't know how to make good things great. And you don't know how to water and say, this is the best Sunday we've ever had because we gave it 110%. We lift our hands. We believe God was bringing lost people. Lost people got saved. Saved people got developed. It was amazing. The person I sat by, they were so cool, man. They, they couldn't sing worth nothing, but they sang with all their heart. They kept clapping off beat, but they were clapping good. Their breath stank, but my God, at least they opened their mouth unto Jesus. What if you became the biggest encouragement on your row? You should be leading your row. You should look down next time and say, no, we're going to worship today. You ain't coming with that attitude. We're going to worship. This is a victorious row. You all have water buckets. Water it. If you don't like where you're at, look at how you're watering it. Water your marriage. You're the finest thing I've ever seen in my life. You the best. The camera people are the stinking best. I hope, I hope the agencies don't find them all over the world and recruit them. These people show up and sit behind a camera and get the Holy Ghost. I know you're speaking in tongues right now behind the camera. You so anointed. Water it. Maybe you haven't been watering in a while, but let God's love water you for a second. Say, hey, you're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. You can walk in authority. You're more than a conqueror. Don't live in a defeated mindset. Don't come in here with your head down. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. Let the king of glory come in. Who is the king of glory? He's strong and mighty, mighty in battle. Lift your spirit up. Why are you so low, soul? Let their water, let, let that, that, that water rise like an oasis in the middle of a desert. And everywhere you go, there's, there's gardens flourishing and fruit flourishing because everywhere you go, every, everywhere you touch, you give life to it. Number three, I'll close with this. If we're going to have deep connection, we choose to pursue honest sharing to form genuine connections. We gotta be transparent. We need to see the needs of others and of ourselves. Be aware of the needs we have. Uh, be aware of our pain and our fear that paralyzes us and causes us to hide from being authentically who we are. Number three, we choose to pursue honest honest sharing to form genuine connections. 
the, the end of this chapter, John chapter 20, verse 30 says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. When I first read this, it didn't hit me uh, right up front, but the second time it, it hit me good. It said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, which means there are some moments that Jesus had in private with his disciples that he didn't post about. There were some private moments that he didn't need to tell anyone about. There were some moments that were so powerful that we don't even get to read about them because they were intimate, close moments. My wife and I, we just celebrated uh, nine years of marriage. She's had to endure a lot. The first service, she wasn't here, so I switched it. But anyway, um, long story short. Um, and we took a picture at, at uh, Disney, and, and the Lord spoke to me. Is this a highlight, or is this an overflow? Because people oftentimes keep living for the public highlight, but have no private overflow. And their most special moments are the ones they share to the public not the ones they have in private. If the most powerful thing I do is preaching on a Sunday, that's a worthless life. I hope that this is an overflow, not a highlight. I hope that the life you're living, there's so many moments that people won't even read about, but they're the most special moments. And maybe the public will not affirm and maybe the public will not like, and maybe the public will not give you what you're craving, but you won't need it when you're in intimate, close relationship to those that really love you. You won't try to impress the world when you know who your world is. And he had these private moments that he said, we're gonna keep these ones off record. This doesn't have to be a special day. We're gonna make every day special. We don't have to wait for our anniversary to have, have dates. We don't have to wait for special days to, to make it special. Every day is special. Every day is a gift of God. Every day is the grace of God. And we get to share moments that bring us together that we're not doing to impress others or to further our resume or to climb the ladder, but we're having moments that the goal of the moment is just the moment. That's the most beautiful worship experience when you're not doing it as to get to a goal, but the goal was to worship and be in closeness and union and one with God and nothing else mattered in the world but you and Jesus in a moment. The scripture says in Mark 12, 30 through 31, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Here's the issue and the big point of what I'm trying to say is we can keep trying to connect to everyone and everything. But if we are not deeply connected to ourselves, which means being present and aware of where we are internally, 
we will never have healthy external connections. Your marriage can't be right if your heart is not right. Your parenting cannot be in order if your heart does not get in order. The Bible says, love others as you love yourself, which means if you're punishing yourself out of fear and pain, you don't have the capacity to love others the way God has called you to love others. So you might make up versions of what loving others looks like. It might be giving them $100 for their birthday to let you know you love them. It might be uh, taking them out once a week to let you know you're there for them. It might be a phone call, but it's so much more than that. It's you knowing you. It's you knowing you the way God knows you. Connecting with you at a deep level so you can connect with others. Because when you're a person who is deeply connected to yourself, you don't need a church to be the source of your connection. You don't need multiple friendships to be the source of your connection. It becomes an overflow of I know me. This is what uh, the, the prodigal son, he was, he was out and about and trying to find other forms of connection. So he spent all his money. If I spend all my money, then I'll be connected. And then he's, he's living a wild life and he's buying women and all of these things. And, and he's looking desperately for intimacy. He's looking desperately to be connected. And he feels like if I get away from my father, then I can be more connected. And then he comes to this place where there is no intimacy and it, it leaves me hungry. And I'm eating with pigs, trying to find a fulfillment for the place that I'm starving to be connected at. I'm eating of a different appetite, but this is not me. This is not who I am, but I'm eating something that does not relate to me because I'm desperately empty and need to be connected. And the Bible says this in a powerful way. And when he came to himself, when he realized that true intimacy was not going to start outside of him, but it was going to be the work of God inside of him, and he was going to have to face the hurt and pain, and he was going to have to face his failures and shame and mistakes, and, and he wasn't going to be able to outrun pain and outhide fear, and he wasn't going to be able to stay away from his father to find it. And all of a sudden, he's there, and the Bible says, and when he came to himself, the whole point of this message today is I hope that in all of our attempts to be connected and all of our attempts to be loved and validated and all of our attempts to find community and all of our attempts to somehow feel and fulfill that deep longing for connection to be fully known yet fully loved. In all of that, it starts with God saying, hey, take a seat. I want you to know you. And I want you to know the version of you that I love, and that I long for, and that I fully see and I fully love. You're not a mistake. We've all had issues. We've all walked through some things. But I want you to be so in tune with what's happening in you that you become so beneficial to what's happening around you. Father, in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the revealer of all things, not just scripture, but of our hearts and of our lives. And none of us have graduated and mastered this practice of intimacy. But Lord, uh, don't give us the revelation of what someone's doing wrong around us or how they're not meeting our needs or how they weren't there for us. 
But today, as the prodigal, the son, who is a long way off, help us to come to ourselves. As the prophet said to Nathan, as the prophet Nathan said to David, you are the man, the, the revelation of oneself. Help us to realign to who you say we are. Help us to realign and heal the places of our heart that have paralyzed us and have held us back. In the name of Jesus.